arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Scallops of sand, endless meanders of marsh and tidal creek. If the shoreline of the Chesapeake Bay could be unraveled, it would stretch from the east to west coast and back. And the inevitable feeling of possibilities up and down the bay. Completed in 1952, the first of towering twin spans of the Chesapeake Bay Bridge enabled easy migration to the eastern shore. So we'd get away to places quaint, picturesque. Romance clings to the private coves, the watery sunsets, the smell and the breeze. There is, perhaps, a tendency to long for what has been lost of its heritage. But soaring above, we see how much of it remains and the incredible beauty held in its embrace. Anyone who has ever hauled a catch from its depths, loafed the small towns that ring it, beheld the marshes blazing in the sun, or skimmed the surface, knows it's more than just a place on the map. Experience the treasured Chesapeake her famous landmarks, natural wonders, cities, towns, and preserves that still look as glorious and untouched as they did a thousand years ago, all from an exhilarating vantage point. In Exchange House, I brought Maddie Summers to the isolated house in Maine where the action is focused on her. Beach House is different. Mary Ellen is the focus of the book, but her husband Tony and the kids are very important. Also, the retired cop Kel is instrumental in allaying Mary Ellen's fears and investigating her suspicions. And speaking of suspicions, Sue Lee, the hot bikini babe slash waitress, stirs up trouble throughout the whole book. Adding the extra characters and subplots only elevates the suspense and excitement of this novel. So let's get into it. Episode 1 of Beach House by Robert P. Fitton begins on the Chesapeake, starting at this very moment. Chapter 1. Ospreys kill often and effectively. Mary Ellen tracked the bird with the binoculars as it swooped from the sky, tucked its tainted wings inward, and pointed its head at the Chesapeake. In an unexpected move, it thrust its cutting talons into the water and skimmed the surface. Somewhere below the sunlit waves, an unsuspecting creature was removed instantly from the ocean environs. With something now firmly caught in its clutches, the powerful fishhawk lifted its prey toward the scattered clouds. The bird flipped the seawater from its feathers and transported the kill in the direction of the distant treetops along Binghamton Beach. Mary Ellen swung the binoculars to the beach house. Sue Lee was a woman, unafraid to do anything to satisfy her own needs. Tony was home alone, and the edge of Sue Lee's orange sports car was visible near the beach house garage. She lowered the binoculars, but quickly raised them again. Binghamton Beach appeared shaky under the scratchy cloud puffs, but she steadied her hands. Away from the breakers, rock-piled jetties in the silhouetted town buildings, Hazelton Hill came into focus. The big contemporary, with plenty of windows, was nestled between a stretch of soft gray beach and an older cottage from the 1940s. She immediately called it the Big White Cube when she and Tony bought it last summer. Damn her. She checked the kids, yellow life preservers draped over their shoulders and backpacks at their feet. Across the deck, Danny was wedged between Angie and Shane at the boat railing. Mary Ellen let the binoculars dangle around her neck as she closed her eyes. 
All the rumors about Tony meeting Sue Lee at Barnacle Bill's tavern converged within the tightness now enveloping her throat. She opened her moist eyes, raised her hands over her mouth, and looked away from the diminishing shore to the deep blue stretch of Chesapeake Bay. Mary Ellen, are you all right? asked Wilma. Mary Ellen flashed a quick phony smile as her short red-haired friend hurried across the deck. Wilma, getting uh, seasick already? Well, I saw you checking. What did you see? Listen, we're off to Sabin's Island. Let's enjoy it. She wasn't there, was she? Mary Ellen eyed the kids and gripped the moist starboard railing. My God, it's all true. Are you sure? Mary Ellen kept talking as she peered at the vanishing landmass across the rippled water. I saw the car. That stupid sports car. Well, she's got nerve. Well, I could think of another word, said Mary Ellen, gritting her teeth. I can play her game. I'll fix her wagon, the little tramp. How? She pressed her lips and shook her head. I don't know. I just don't know. The trees and white sand beaches formed like a downloading webpage along the Sabins Island shoreline. Mary Ellen smiled as Kel, having replaced his Hazleton security uniform with jeans and a red sweatshirt, played charades with the kids in front of the blue vinyl deck chairs. For a few minutes, she forgot her husband was home painting the house while the car of a shapely 23-year-old female bartender from Barnacle Bills was parked in the driveway. Mom, this game is dumb, said Danny, kicking a discarded soda can down the deck. You pick it up, young man. I didn't put it there. She raised her brows. Danny rolled his eyes, grunted, and headed after the can. Slowly, her expression vanished as she scanned the horizon back to Binghamton Beach. Images of Sue Lee's sweeping dark hair swaying across her tight, well-toned body and her red string bikini converged in Mary Ellen's head. On the beach, Tony had cast more than a fleeting glance at her small, rounded buttocks. Mary Ellen crushed her hands together when she transposed those thoughts into her second-floor master bedroom. Mary Ellen! Mary Ellen! Are you there? Kell's curly steel hair protruded under the edges of his black and orange Orioles hat. His green eyes were laced with brown marbleized veins. You look like you're a million miles away. Well, I wish I were, Kell. What's the matter? She shook her head. Same old, same old. He flexed his well-worn crow's peaks and rolled his tongue around his unshaven cheek. You're not starting that Sue Lee thing again, are you? Yes, and this time I have proof. Really? She didn't like the serious look in his eye. Well, I apologize. Maybe I was too graphic about her. Oh, you were quite explicit about her attraction to men, said Mary Ellen. I think we have to give Tony a little bit more credit. She's only 23. He's got 10 years on her. Kel, you told me that she had a, uh, what did you say? Nefarious background? Well, yeah, but her car was parked in front of the beach house garage. She doesn't waste any damn time, does she? Kel ground his teeth together as if he were chewing gum. Can I use your binoculars? Forget it, she said, folding her arms across her sweatshirt. We're too far out now. I already looked. What do you really know about her? Well, like I said, she's got a reputation. Kel waved to Angie and Shane. Both her daughters produced identical expressions bordering on irritation and friendship. Mary Ellen held his wrist. Kel... I just told you that the little tramp is parked in my driveway. What else do you know about her? Well, it's not important. This may just be an innocent thing. I can't see Tony getting involved with her. He loves you and the kids. Right. She's in that driveway the minute we board the boat to Sabin's Island. I may just be an old cop from Buffalo, Mary Ellen, but I do know that until you investigate something, your impressions about what it might be can be completely bogus. Mary Ellen looked across the bay, but pictured her beach house over the horizon line. Or, impressions might be right on the mark. Chapter 2 For a third time, Mary Ellen pounded the beach house number into the dark payphone. When they had arrived on Sabin's Island, she tried reaching Tony, but only heard her own voice on the house voicemail. At the picnic area, Kel and Wilma finished the lunch she had packed earlier this morning when Tony was already outside swatting his paintbrush along the outside paneling. 
Why did he decide to paint the beach house himself? His position at Omicron commanded a salary well over six figures. The voicemail beeped. She spoke in a clear and firm voice. Tony? Where the hell are you, Tony? She slammed the phone hard enough to crack the plastic. The blood rushed to her head. She wanted to go back there right now and confront both of them. When she opened her eyes, Kel approached along the dock, and his face still reflected a burgeoning concern. Mary Ellen, listen. As a retired cop, why don't you let me look into this? Kel insisted she telephone Tony before the boat left for Binghamton Beach, but Mary Ellen saw no point in aggravating herself further, nor did she wish to call with Sue Lee still at the house. She would have to confront Tony when she arrived back at the beach house. Although the skies remained sunny, a stiff wind arrived across the bay. Through the darkening blue waters behind the boat, away from the others, she silently cried as she thought back fifteen years to her wedding day. She was riding in a coach, drawn by two powerful dark horses with braided manes. In the late afternoon light, Tony's black hair was longer and almost brushed his white tucks. His maroon tie fit perfectly within his standing collar and a fresh pink rose boutonniere was neatly tucked into his lapel. He kissed her lace glove and smiled. I want this to go on forever. His blue eyes brightened. It will. Now she wiped her eyes with her cold fingers and stared back at Sabin's Island, knowing as the island moved farther away, Binghamton Beach would get closer. Why would Tony even consider a slut like Sue Lee? She was insulted that he hadn't sought someone more sophisticated, it made her wonder how he really viewed their relationship. Mom, are you all right? asked Shane. The air froze the tears on her face. No, I'm just a little weepy. Her oldest daughter hugged her and dried her mother's tears. Did we do something wrong? I know I was a little flip back in the woods. No, it's nothing any of you have done. I have a lot of things on my mind. Can I help? She inhaled the thick salt air and realized she only had a two-hour window before Tony left for Seattle. No, Shaney, no, I'll be all right. Are you sure? Yep, yep. Are you working tomorrow morning? Oh, don't remind me. After two months of waiting on tables and bringing out breakfast for people, I'm looking forward to going back to school. I guess getting you the job at Binky's was a smart idea. A good idea once it's over, Mom. Do you need help with supper? She asked. We might go out and grab a bite or order a pizza. No, I don't want pizza. Well, Dad's been working hard painting the house. Mary Ellen's anger churned. Right. I'm sure your father is taking care of his appetite. Chapter 3 She brought Eloise out for a walk immediately after Kel dropped them off. The golden retriever emerged from the garage and Mary Ellen gazed across the gravel driveway to the thick flower beds. Amidst the smell of fresh paint, she had to wonder if she's walking across the spot where Sue Lee had parked her new Mustang only hours before. Badgering Tony was not something she wanted to do. Eloise trotted onto the street and quickly veered into the thicket beyond the mailbox. Mary Ellen looked back at Tony's new, paint-spattered aluminum ladder lying on the ground beside the angled garage. The blue bay beckoned through the trees. At least he had finally begun to paint the beach house. Tony appeared in baggy black shorts and a red Nike shirt. He carried a drink as he meandered up the drive. Mary Ellen wished Eloise would stop sniffing and continue up the road. Hey, sweetheart, you rushed out real quick. Well, somebody has to take the dog out. Eloise has been out twice, he said, reaching the end of the driveway. No wonder she's not going. Mary Ellen refrained from looking him in the eye. I wanted to tell you... Now that I have the increased portfolio, I've placed everything with Marty here in Binghamton Beach. In a couple of years, I won't even have to work, Mary Ellen. We're all set. So, Tony, how the hell was your afternoon? Tony hesitated. He brought the drink to his lips and scanned the road. My afternoon was uh, productive. Oh, I bet it was. Why was she feeling guilty? Tony was the one hooking up with that young thing. Side of the house and the garage are done. That's impossible, she smiled. Again, he seemed at a loss for words, as if he had quickly bragged about something leading to other things. Sue Lee must have helped him paint. That could be the only explanation. Now Mary Ellen was too scared to start asking questions. Sue Lee was with her husband all afternoon. 
So how do you like my handiwork? Saves us a little money when you do it yourself. The blue leash tightened it, and Eloise pulled her along the road. Well, I like doing the work. He followed her up the road. You know, I don't think you need to go back to work in the fall. He sipped the drink, but his hands shook as he lifted the glass. Your hands are shaking, Tony. <laughs> All afternoon, wheeling a brush. He slid his hand over hers and took the dog's leash. All right, what's your gripe? I have no gripes. Oh, I know that expression. Maybe she was wrong. Maybe that orange protrusion near the garage was not Sue Lee's car. But she was afraid to be proven wrong. It was a long trip to the island. Did you want me to go with you? Is that it? No, no. You said you wanted the beach house painted before fall. I do. Eloise rustled the leaves and squatted down. Mary Ellen exhaled slowly and the adrenaline rushed to her stomach. She was going to ask him, but her inner thoughts bubbled up. She wanted to know the truth now, no matter how much it hurt. I saw a car out there. What? Tony quickly looked away. I said I saw Sue Lee's car in our driveway when I looked at the beach house through the binoculars. So? Well, what kind of an explanation are you going to give me now, Tony? Mary Ellen, calm down. Why was she over here to get more software for her brother's roommate? Is that it? Tony waited. Maybe he was considering an alternate explanation, or perhaps he would deny Suli's presence altogether. I think you're jumping to conclusions. My conclusions are that you hung all over her at Barnacle Bills. My conclusions are when you oogled her a little ass on the beach. Mary Ellen, he laughed nervously. Shut up, Tony. I'm sick and tired of your bullshit explanations. The dog emerged from the bushes, and Mary Ellen stepped up to Tony for the first time. Well, Tony, how was she? He said nothing, and his eyes hung open, as if he had been drugged for surgery. Mary Ellen's worst fears were confirmed when she started toward the house, but her legs were so fired up she stormed past the driveway. Although she did not look back, he must have watched her march down the road. Her stomach wrenched as she gripped the dog's leash and pictured the little trollop naked in her own bedroom. She wondered what kind of unusual acts Sue Lee had performed on Tony. More than being angry at Tony, she thought him a buffoon, a weakened shadow of the man she had married. But her anger toward the bikini-string slut accelerated with each quaking step down the road along the bay. Two hours and 37 minutes ago, Tony's BMW slowly moved from the beach house driveway. Her lips pursed and her arms crossed over a sweater. Mary Ellen did not turn on the lights. Through the upper windows outside Tony's study, she peered over the moonlit bay. The yellow, luminescent full moon glowed in the darkness. Tony's only comment about this afternoon's painting venture involved a vehement denial of any involvement with Sue Lee. Beginning in the kitchen, holding his overnight case, he castigated Mary Ellen for thinking he would chase after a 23-year-old woman. He maintained she had returned the software. He showed Mary Ellen the disc and said he was getting an updated inventory package for her brother's roommate. The evening breezes tickled her cheeks and she shook her head, not believing that Tony was telling the truth. She was determined to find Sue Lee, not tonight because the children were sleeping, but tomorrow when Danny was at his game and Shane was working. She could leave Angie with Wilma and track down the woman who had seduced her husband. The wave ripples merged toward the shore, but she traced her eyes across the distant bay waters, wondering like an ancient sailor what lay beyond the obvious. She retreated from the windows and shuffled toward her sewing machine and unused fabric bolts. Maybe Tony was telling the truth, and she needed to respect his word. The story about the software and even the painting was easily checked out, but Cal's alluding to the deaths of two men in the area scared her. She picked up the third-floor phone, and settled into the soft beanbag chair. Kel here. In the background, she heard the Orioles game broadcast from Oakland. Kel, this is Mary Ellen Fresco. I've been thinking about you, kiddo. He denied any relationship. He told me she came over here to hand back her brother's roommate's software. You said this woman was suspected of murders? And I said I suspected her. Two men in Binghamton Beach were killed within the last 18 months. One guy named Roger Trombley lived on Centennial Drive. Trombley was working on his car. He had a 66 Corvette and the car fell on him. 
fell on him? Mary Ellen sat up in the chair and positioned her elbow on her knee. Are you saying that she did it? Well, Sue Lee was seen in Camden at a place called Willoughby's Tavern with Trombley two nights before. The wife caught him. Well, that's a far cry from killing him. She likes older married men. How do you know this? she asked. Word on the street. A couple of relationships. Mary Ellen stood and gripped the phone. Well, she's sick is what she is. One relationship was with a guy named Artie Rankin. Get this. Rankin was a guy who didn't know how to swim. Yet, he fell off a jetty and was washed out to sea. He was seen with Sue Lee on the beach. Oh, come on, Cal. Don't you think you're stretching this a bit? She started to pace the carpet near the stairs to the second floor master bedroom. What evidence do you have? Her M.O. is chasing older married men. I'll tell you, you need to speak frankly with Tony. This woman is trouble. Well, maybe she is. What evidence do you have linking her with either one of those murders? Mrs. Rankin was on her way to the jetty. She saw the Mustang parked at the marina. Mary Ellen wiped her hand over her mouth and leaned on the huge window span overlooking the pool. What did she do about it? Did the local police get involved? The red light of a tanker or maybe a fishing trawler blinked slowly in the night. Listen, Kel, I can't live like this. I need to know if there's anything going on between Tony and her. Whatever you want to look into, then do it. Thirty-seven years on the force tells me to mind my own business. Well, then why would you... Thirty-seven years on the force also tells me something isn't right with that woman. I don't mean just that she tries to score with married men. Either way, Mary Ellen, I'm going to find the truth. Chapter 4 Mary Ellen stretched out in the master bedroom's king-size bed. She shut off the 55-inch widescreen, still glowing from 45 minutes of late-night shows. Tony's smooth pillow reflected a brighter swath of moonlight cutting across the rug to the third-floor stairs. She had not made love to Tony in this bed for weeks, and she feared that he had taken his attention elsewhere. For a moment, she thought she sensed the presence of night sin in the air but the scent vanished when she sat up and surveyed the large room. Through the wide window spans, moonbeams poured like silver projector light through the massive window spans and onto the pastel walls, colors she had chosen with Tony last winter. The walk-in closet, adjacent to the stairs, was as large as one of the smaller bedrooms in their first house back in Tuppersburg. Tony now had the high-pressure income, was not afraid to do the work himself. She focused on the cable box's green digits and then closed her eyes. The sound of the peepers in the lowlands blended in with the traffic back along the highway. An occasional stray horn beeped or some smart-ass teenager left skid marks across the pavement as the breakers offshore cracked and the waves sloshed toward the beach. She and Tony used to lay motionless after making love and tune in all the outside sounds. Smashing glass from downstairs, destroyed the solitude. She rocketed out of bed. For a few seconds, she hesitated, but grabbed her robe off the side chair and slipped into the sleeves as she hurried into the hall. It was odd the dog was not barking. Eloise should have barked loud enough to disturb Wilma's high-strung husband by now. Somehow the kids never heard the glass break either. She raced down the sweeping staircase and into the foyer, then she froze and looked across the kitchen to the garage hallway. Someone crushed the driveway gravel outside. Mary Ellen flipped on all the outside spotlights, rushed to the slider and removed the pole, wedging the doors shut. She cocked the pole and sprinted to the front door. The night air rushed inside the house when she opened the door and peered through the screen. Taillights disappeared through the thicket up the road. She scooped up the cordless phone, ran across the kitchen, and opened the garage door. Oh, damn it, Kel, where are you? Chipped glass was scattered over the cement up to the Escalade. Kel's line rang on the cordless, but she got voicemail. Oh, damn it, Kel, where are you? Huge glass sword stuck in a cluster inside the ocean side window. Mary Ellen cut the line as she edged her way around the Escalade and checked the outside door. Kel's name came up on the screen. Mary Ellen. Kel, somebody just chucked something through my garage window. What? 
I said, there's glass all over my garage. Smashed. The window's smashed. I heard somebody out front. Then I saw a car taillights through the woods. I can't find my dog. They took my dog. Eloise. Eloise. Stay right there. I'm not going anywhere. Mary Ellen now wondered if she should have called the Binghamton Beach Police Station. Cal, look, I'll report this. Don't worry. It's time that Walter Kelly gets back in action. I'll call them myself. Don't alarm the kids. I'll be right over. She clicked the line and realized how fast her heart was pounding. What if Sue Lee was deranged and playing a sick game designed to scare her with Tony gone? She peered around the Escalade's cream-colored fender. The side door was severely dented and a rough piece of granite lay on the cement next to Danny's water toys. She tightened her brow as the cool night air produced a slight whistle through the jagged glass and she prayed that Sue Lee was not involved in the attack. Danny was excited about the vandalism. He bounced between the cruiser and the two officers and asked a raft of questions. Shane and Angie surveyed the garage damage and relegated themselves to a position in the second-floor bedroom. Officer Dashiell, a young skinny kid in his 20s, tried to convince Mary Ellen that the rock incident, as it was now referred to, was the result of young teenagers in the area. The older cop named Butch, pudgy and blonde, was engaged in a long conversation with Kel by the stone wall at the end of the driveway. The girls waved at him from the second-floor window as he moved to extricate Danny from the cruiser. "'You guys ever fire a gun?' Danny asked, pointing to the wood-grain handle sticking from Dashiell's holster. "'Only when the kids that aren't in bed are still up.' "'I bet you fire that thing. Bang! Bang! Come on, kid. Your mother wants you in bed.' He walked Danny toward the front door. "'I'll bring him up, Mrs. Fresco.' "'Thank you.' "'He's cute,' said Shane.' Both girls giggled and disappeared inside the beach house. Girls, they're a pain, said Danny, looking up at Dashiell. Don't worry, kid, you'll have a change of heart. Dashiell opened the screen door. You like girls? asked Danny as the pneumatic tube slowly gushed out the air. Yeah, you will too. Yuck! Yuck! Mary Ellen stood rigid, straddling the lawn and gravel drive. She looked toward the side garden and spoke through gritted teeth. During the yard search, the pervasive odor of night sin, the distinctive palm oil scent, similar to the tanning lotions on the beach, remained in the shower stall. The girls recognized the brand, but did not know how it had ended up in the outside shower. She clenched her fists as Kel said a few more words to the older cop, glanced at her, and started across the grass. She thought about calling Tony and voicing a complaint concerning the infamous Ms. Sue Lee. Yet concurrently, she wanted to deny Suli's complicity in breaking the window. Mary Ellen, Butch is going to talk with Suli in the morning. Think she did it, Kel? That's just it. We don't know. The shower thing bothers me. Although perfume could have been in there from before, he briefly held her wrist. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm all right. But where the hell is my dog? Dog is probably out on the prowl. She'll be back. Sue Lee was in the shower stall. I know this little slut is involved in this. This is ridiculous feeling like this. She's just some bartender. Right. I can't believe Tony would be so intellectually void as to spend time with someone of that caliber. Cal tightened his brow. I, I understand. She was in that shower, damn it. Look, tomorrow I'll start asking questions. I'm heading back to the trailer. Get some shut-eye, kiddo. Kel, thanks for coming out, really. Knowing you're ten minutes away makes me feel a lot more secure. His moist green eyes darted, and he paused as if he pondered some other things. Then he nodded once. I'll get to the bottom of this. I've been sitting around the trailer too long, just dreaming up all these theories. About time I got off my duff and did a little bit of old-fashioned detective work. Maybe score the big one. Chapter 5 Mary Ellen vigorously pushed one of the plastic carts through the supermarket's automatic door, and the inside air chilled her sunbaked skin. All night in bed, she had debated whether to call Tony. Vacillating kept her awake and tired. She made an early breakfast and sipped some orange juice on her patio, overlooking the brilliant bay sunrise. 
Occasionally she stared at the outside shower surround, but in a sudden burst scrubbed the stench out with a bristle brush and chemical cleaner. The oily perfume provided enough evidence to prove Tony was fooling around with Sue Lee. A wave of anxiety from the rock incident now encircled her as she rounded the vegetable aisle. Danny mentioned the gaping window hole a few times on his way to baseball practice, but her daughter said nothing. Mary Ellen was trapped in her own fear as she maneuvered the cart over the wax vinyl tiles. She pawed over the apples and loaded a half a dozen into a plastic bag that she ripped from the dispenser. How could anyone pick up a rock and hurl it through a garage window while a family slept inside? As many times as she tried, she could not put herself inside the intruder's head and justify or even muster the inner fortitude to carry out the attack. She slid the cart over to the slanted banana bin. By now, Tony had already boarded the plane to Seattle. She lifted two bunches to the top, but her mind was set on Tony, and she needed to speak with him. Maybe they could put the matter behind them if they openly discussed the affair. A woman in red shorts and a yellow halter top with a mass of long, straight, shiny black hair moved around the corner beyond the end cap of two-liter Pepsi bottles. A quick jolt shook her stomach as she spun away from the bananas. She swerved around an elderly man, evaluating bunches of iceberg lettuce and skidded into the meat aisle. A plethora of shoppers were in motion ahead of her, but no one with long black hair. She slid to a stop at the end of the first aisle. A young woman with two kids, a guy in a tank top, and an old lady in a red flowered dress checked out boxes of crackers and soda. She quickly rushed to the next aisle and leaned around the corner. A bearded guy with dark hair and shorts checked a handwritten shopping list. This is insane. Really insane. A woman in front of the pre-cooked chicken made a sour face when Mary Ellen skirted the corner. At the end of the aisle, the woman with thick black hair was occluded by two guys pulling coffee cans off the shelf. Mary Ellen gripped the cart and scampered past boxes of pasta and glass sauce jars. Her heart thumping, she slowed as she neared the registers. She tried to control her breathing as she held the cart and stood upright. Nudging the carriage forward around a header of stacked cereal boxes, she opened her eyes wide as the woman with long dark hair, but with blue eyes and a wide face, lackadaisically emerged from the coffee aisle. Mary Ellen tightened her hold on the shopping cart, closed her eyes and chided herself through deep breaths for thinking the woman was Sue Lee. She leaned on the cart, as if it were a walker for an elderly patient, and stared at the woman, now in the twelve items or less line. The sudden noise of her cell phone ringing in her own pocketbook shook her, and she fumbled for the phone next to the automatic coffee grinder. Hello? I tried the house, said Tony. Tony, where are you? Her eyes filled. Mary Ellen, are you all right? No, I'm not all right. I'm not all right at all. Kel told me that somebody threw a rock through the garage window last night. Why didn't you call me? Oh, I don't know she said, wiping her eyes. I wouldn't want you to be upset, Tony. He paused and she heard someone speaking on the airport public address system. I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? She asked as a rotund lady in a pink flowered dress gawked at her. Just tell me that, Tony, will you? I'm sorry that you may have gotten the wrong impression. Are the kids all right? Yes, they are. I'll tell you, if that little slut... Through that rock, I'll gouge your eyes out. Listen to me, Mary Ellen. I'm not involved with her. I helped her with the software, and that's it. I know it looks bad. Mary Ellen pinched the bridge of her nose. Her sinuses filled as if she were having a severe allergy attack. I would like to believe you, but... I'll be back from Seattle on Friday morning. We'll straighten this thing out. Going to do some more painting, are you? I know about the night sin in the shower. Again, the airport public address system sounded in the background. I don't know what you're talking about. I saw the Mustang. I haven't done anything wrong. Well, you may not think so. I'll call you from Seattle. Don't bother. The lady in the flowery dress stared as Mary Ellen dropped the cell phone back into her pocketbook. Tears leaked from her eyes as she started down the aisle again, but she forgot what she wanted to buy and simply pushed the cart. 
Her husband was on his way across country without having given a proper explanation for his activities while she was on Sabin's Island. She walked briskly by the meats and toward the milk case as she tried to rationalize what she was saying. But each time she thought about his words, a queasy feeling overtook her stomach. She knew he was lying, and she didn't want to hear the details. The green truck, expansive glass sheets aligned vertically in storage bins, was parked in the driveway. The gray-haired man in the striped shirt and navy pants looked up from a trash bin near the garage window. Mary Ellen looped around the brick walk and left the groceries in the Escalade. The glass man, a yellow piece of paper stuffed in his shirt pocket, crossed the drive. I'm all done, Mrs. Fresco. Good. They catch the guy? Nobody's been caught yet. He handed her a scribbled bill for $450. You take MasterCard? Not necessary, ma'am. On the house. Oh, no, your husband, Mr. Fresco, he has an account with my company. Guess he used it for some mirrors in your bathroom downstairs. Oh, okay. Nice house. How many square feet? Mary Ellen studied her beach house, unfolding in four towering sections like open books stacked upright. 6,200 feet. Man, I could fit three of my houses in there. Well, the window's fixed and uh, the glass is all cleaned up. Thank you. You have a good day now. Mary Ellen smiled and tried to forget how her marriage to Tony was slowly disintegrating. She lifted the cold plastic milk containers from the back seat and walked into the garage. A few stray glass bits were still scattered across the cement. She jingled her keys and opened the kitchen door. By now, Eloise's gyrating tail would have smacked the mudroom corridor wall. The dog's disappearance was directly linked to the rock attack. She had told the kids Eloise was in the kennel back home in Tuppersburg. She carried the milk jugs down the mudroom hall, opened the mammoth stainless steel refrigerator, and set the milk inside the holder. Fifty minutes ago, when she left for the supermarket, the liter of white Zinfandel in the wine cooler was nearly full. Last night she had opened the bottle and drank a small goblet before heading up to bed. Now only a minuscule amount of clear wine lay within the elongated bottle. She pivoted and sprinted down to the mudroom and then into the garage. The glass guy, cigarette stuck in the corner of his mouth, backed the truck down the crushed stone driveway. He jammed on the brakes when he saw her waving him down. Excuse me, did anyone come by here while you were working on the window? He shook his head and removed the cigarette. Nobody here while I was working. Did you see anyone? Nope. Why, something wrong? He asked, looking over to the beach house. Oh, I don't know. No, everything's just fine. She wandered back to the Escalade and plucked out the two grocery bags as the glass truck backed into the street. During breakfast, she used the refrigerator a dozen times and observed the nearly full wine bottle. The glass guy had no access to the house, and the kids would not have the opportunity to take wine during the last hour. She shook her head. Kids wouldn't touch the wine anyway. Mary Ellen set the grocery bags on the counter. She checked the pole wedged within the kitchen sliders and walked into the spacious foyer. Maybe Sue Lee had been in the house. She berated herself for drawing such wild conclusions as she opened the wood-stained front door. The outside storm was still securely locked. Somebody was in here. I need surveillance cameras. She studied the curved oak staircase to the second floor balustrade and then scurried up the runner. Kid's bathroom window was closed and the central air pushed through the tile vents. She bounced between all three bedrooms. The shades were drawn and the windows locked in Shane's pink-painted, neatly arranged room. She stepped over Danny's clothes and baseball equipment as she scanned the closed brass locks. Angie's room, covered with rock group posters, was cooler away from the sun, but the windows were also locked. She inhaled, still worried about the dog, and ran her fingers along the smooth varnished balustrade above the foyer. With each step toward her bedroom, she wondered about the balcony doors. Sunlight cut through the thin blind slats over the closed balcony doors as she placed her open hand over her beating heart. She had always made the bed perfectly, Yet the quilt was slightly out of alignment. Her chest moved quickly as she gulped in air and then swallowed. No, this can't be happening. She ran to the balcony doors and unlocked the knob. The sunlight burst inside with the warmer air on the balcony. She gazed at the patio bricks and the charcoal pit within the thick green grass. 
The glass tables and patio chairs were not moved, and the kids' karaoke box sat on the table above the waiting pool. She leaned over the balcony rail. To gain access to the balcony meant shimming up the pole supports and physically scaling the outside rail. This scenario required great upper body strength and the house key. She looked down at the outside shower, freshly scrubbed and followed the beach trail through the brush to the dock. With the man working on the glass out front, the intruder would have approached along the shore. She backed into the bedroom and ripped the quilt off the bed. Then she attacked the sheets, rolling the cotton fabric into a huge ball. As she headed with the heap toward the second floor laundry room, she sniffed the night's sin in the air. Sick. This is sick. She dropped the bedclothes on the tile and opened up the washer top. Quickly, she loaded the quilt and the sheets into the huge capacity washer. Frantic, she flipped the water valve and dumped some detergent and twisted the timer on the machine panel. As the water freely flowed into the tub, she leaned against the machine and closed her eyes. Only a demented individual would enter the house and slither into her bed, but the possibility of Sue Lee having the keys to the beach house concerned Mary Ellen the most. She rushed into the hall and grabbed the wall phone. In a matter of seconds, she had pushed Kel's number, but the line rang longer this time. Kel here. Kel, she was in here. My quilt, my sheets, saturated with that night sin, all over my sheets. You didn't smell it last night? No. That's just it. The house box? He asked. The rock and roll music played in the background. She pictured Kel's old stereo system in the trailer. Mary Ellen? Yes. Of course I locked the house. That's the point. I came back from the supermarket. Inside the refrigerator... That liter of wine I opened last night is half empty. I had one glass, Kel. One glass. Well, maybe there's a logical explanation there, kiddo. Mary Ellen's voice choked. How do you explain the sheets? I don't know, but if the house was locked... She has the keys. Tony gave her the keys. Oh, you don't know that. I'm going to track her down. I don't have to stand for this. No, no, you don't, but I would advise you letting me handle this. Mary Ellen held the sides of her head, stared at the striped bed, and stretched the phone cord down the hall. She's sick, coming in here and crawling into my bed. Kel had an odd constraint in his voice. Listen, I'd walked to her condo this morning. Tell me if you know anything else about this or her. Nothing else. Kel, you sound like you're holding back. Like what? she asked, letting her back slide down the wall, and she sat on the hallway rug. You have two men who were killed, and you think she instigated both deaths, right? Correct. I'll talk with Bob Colby about Artie Rankin. Colby lives near me on the beach. We're only a couple of hundred yards from the jetty. He saw Rankin with her on the beach after dark. He'd swear to it. Rankin was a big guy. Always wore Bermuda shorts. He worked as a banker in Baltimore. The washing machine motor hummed as water gushed into the inner tub. Mary Ellen sat on the floor and closed her eyes. It's a stretch having her push him off the jetty. Did this guy Colby or anybody see Rankin push? Well, I'm working on that. I talked to Rankin's wife in Belvedere this morning. I didn't mention Sue Lee, but she was concerned about the time Rankin would spend walking that summer. And he seemed distant to her, concerned about his appearance. Yeah, classic symptoms of an affair, right? Could be. Now remember, the cops in their report had her car. She gets a new Mustang every year. She parked it near Cobb's Bridge. From Cobb's Bridge, you can see the jetty clearly with binoculars. But you don't have anything. Damn her. The music stopped and Kel cleared his throat. And then there's Roger Trombley. He lived on Sunset Drive. Oh, how appropriate. He was killed instantly. Apparently the car fell off the ramp in his garage. He was working on the engine. She was seen driving that Corvette prior to the accident. One of the cops investigating remembers her in the Corvette kerchief around her head, pulling up to the light near the railroad station. The wife uh, remarried and lives in Delaware. I just want Sue Lee out of my house and away from my husband. I understand. 
staying away from her. Mary Ellen closed her eyes again. Then what the hell do I do, Kel? Call a locksmith. They change every damn lock in your house. Oh, God. Just go to the cops. Cops and I have a uh, communications gap. Besides, unless you saw Sue Lee in your house, forget it. She struggled to her feet and the blood rushed away from her head, leaving her tipsy. New locks. That's a good idea. Chapter 6 Cal had not told Mary Ellen. He had left a message for Tony at Omicron. He leaped from his leather chair and scrambled to the counter phone when it jingled. Cal here. Cal, this is Tony Fresco. Tony, I'm glad you called. What's up? Said Tony. Listen, Tony, you and I have known each other for a few years. Since you had that rental on the beach. We've played cards together. I've babysat for your kids. What's the point? Sue Lee. He asked, then he bristled. I have no damn relationship with Sue Lee. I told Mary Ellen that. I have a fear that Sue Lee threw a rock through your garage window last night. How the hell did you come up with that one? Kel wiped his mouth. With no proof, maybe he should have kept quiet. See, Mary Ellen thinks... I know what she thinks, and I'm damn sick of it. I'm going to say this once, and you're a retired cop, so you check it out. I got some software for her brother's roommate back in Annapolis. I talked with her for close to an hour in the bar. Was she at your house when we were over at Sabine's Island? Tony's silence made Kel suspicious. I think my wife is letting her imagination run away from her. I was painting the house. What about the orange car? There was no orange car. Okay, have it your way. But if she was over there, I'm going to find out. Tony's voice shifted to a higher pitch. Why? Why the hell are you even involved in this, Kel? Tony, this woman is bad news. I told you, Kel. I think she may have been involved in murders of two married men. Married men summering here in Binghamton Beach. No words were spoken. I have to get back to work. I've made arrangements to be back at Binghamton Beach on Thursday night. Don't get her all worked up. I'm not the one getting her worked up. Why don't you mind your own business? Tony hung up the phone and Kel stared at the receiver, convinced Tony had seen Sue Lee Sunday afternoon. He grabbed his security guard hat and swiped his tie off the chair. After lowering the air conditioner, he turned off the TV and headed into the sunshine. A few people were on the beach 200 yards ahead. How could Tony be so stupid to be involved with Sue Lee? Mary Ellen was such a good kid, yet, as he imagined Sue Lee in her bright bikini, he slowly nodded his head. He opened his little Hazelwood security car. He thought about all the times he had seen her at Barnacle Bills. Sue Lee's charm made her a popular bartender. Her eyes were dark and intense, usually outlined with a striking blue mascara. She occasionally wore glossy red rouge. He checked his old diver's watch and realized he had a full 45 minutes before he had to report on duty at Hazelwood. The hot air burst from the vents for a few seconds when he started the car. He looped the compact around his silver trailer and onto the dirt road. Maybe she had arrived early at Barnacle Bills. He raised the dust along the road, past the other trailers and the tall grass away from the beach. His tires caught the seal-coated asphalt. Cars were scattered across the beach parking lot, but in another hour, the lot would fill to capacity. He continued up South Neck Road, upset with Tony for not leveling with him. At the stop sign, he rolled right, and the engine whined under the strain toward town. He cruised past the shops and the parking meters. The Marsh River extended to the sea. A gray panel building with a long terrace and carved awnings was settled under the spreading trees atop a rounded knoll. Kel swung the compact up the short slope and parked out back. He left his tie and hat on the seat, but he did not see the orange Mustang out front as he walked around the building. Behind the gray dumpster, the shiny sports car was parked along the chain-link fence. A slight nervous smile came to his face. He knew the feeling as he prepared to meet a suspect. Eight years ago, he was fired for accusing a local hood of murder in a daytime robbery where a three-year-old kid was killed. He had pushed that case on instinct. With no facts, even though the guy was guilty, he never went to trial. 
When he was let go, Kell told everyone they gave him an early retirement. Only the local cops knew the whole story. Not only was he rusty in questioning people involved in criminal investigations, but he did not want to make the same mistake he had made in Buffalo. He walked slowly up the restaurant's weathered wood plank and up to the front door. People eating lunch under a glass-enclosed terrace treated him with passing glances as he opened the door. The inner area was darker. Several TV monitors showed NFL highlights along a central bar lighted by overhead copper lanterns. The hostess asked him if he wanted a table in the main restaurant. No, nah, the bar is fine. Kel peered across the darkened booths. Sue Lee pushed back her fine black hair, and her well-formed muscles tensed as she carried a case of liquor behind the bar. She wore a tiny pair of white shorts outlining her well-formed buttocks. Kel had seen the type so many times in the past. She was young and thought she would always be young. With almost a ruthless confidence, she presented a bold assertiveness. He studied her dark eyes and little round face and wondered if he was looking into the eyes of a killer. She saw him when she turned to speak with the guy in a short-sleeved white shirt. Her smile was wide and she again swished her long straight hair from her form-fitting red lycra jersey. Kel walked along the bar and was surprised when she stepped up to him. Hi. Hi. You don't even know me. Yeah, I know who you are. You're Walter Kelly. You have a trailer on the beach. You work as a security guard at Hazleton Point, and you used to be a cop on the Buffalo Force. How am I doing? Kel's heart beat quickly. He tried not to stare at her well-toned legs and shorts. Did I send you my resume? Oh, you want to? She had a clear, friendly voice and a ready smile, scary in its sincerity. This is a small community, Mr. Kelly. It is. You're not from around here, are you? You know, I started coming down here with my family when I was 13 years old, 10 years ago. She pushed back her hair again and Kel fought his attraction to her. We used to party in the mornings and we'd sleep it off on the beach. I love it there. Always have. I'll never leave. Kel was flooded with carnal thoughts as he began his questioning. Why were you out at Tony Fresco's beach house yesterday? She innocently raised her dark brows. I don't understand. Tony Fresco was home all alone yesterday. His wife saw your car in the driveway. Sue Lee pushed her lips together and nodded. She dipped her slender body under the opening in the bar. Her smooth hand wrapped around his callous knuckles. Come with me. Now I don't understand. The sharp waves of scented perfume revved him up even more. She held his hand as her slim torso slinked along the bar and her high heels clicked against the wooden floor. Her body was small, tight, and she carried herself well. She put out signals of availability and a proclivity to flirt. She opened the rear door and strutted down the ramp bordering the outside terrace. Although he did not know Rankin or Trombley, they would have succumbed, just as he was slowly giving in right now. She hoisted her buttocks onto the pressure-treated railing pushing her shorts up higher on her tight legs. Tony's cool. I could easily become romantically involved with him. Mrs. Fresco is jealous. She just needs a few weeks in the gym with me. Get herself in shape. You know Mrs. Fresco? No, no, no. Then how do you know she's jealous? Asked Cal, leaning against the ramp rail. Tried not to look at her tan legs. Tony told me she would be. Then you're having an affair with him. A married man? Oh, Mr. Kelly, she said in a low voice, leaning over. He could see a full shot of her pointed breast as she rubbed her index fingers together. Kel looked away, but wanted to mention Trombley and Rankin. His heart was flying, and she probably knew it. Tony helped me get some software for my brother's roommate. I talked with him for probably over an hour when he came in for pizzas last week. I think he was attracted to me. You can't fault a guy for that now, can you, Mr. Kelly? She moved her hands up through her hair, tightening her red spandex across her chest. So you're saying you never went over to see Tony Fresco yesterday? Ha, I wish I had if the wife was away. Wear him out, you know what I mean? He looked over her compact body. You are nowhere near that house. Nope. Yesterday afternoon, I was sailing. Witnesses? None. I took my boat out in the morning and didn't come back till maybe three. Yeah, it was three. 
I had to be behind the bar by five. I took a long, warm shower, lots of body lotion. Cal pondered that image. And then I was at the gym for an hour before I got on duty here. There was an orange car in the driveway when we went to Sabin's Island. My car was in my condo garage. She jumped down and her small breasts bounced quickly, but her shorts still rode up her legs. Do you want me to talk with Mrs. Fresco? Tell her that Tony boy hasn't been naughty? No. She tugged at the edge of her shorts. Her dark slanted eyes opened wide and she tightened the red rouge lips as she held his wrist. Everybody needs to be naughty once in a while, Mr. Kelly. Kel's emotions shifted, and he could not explain it. Her charms seemed more manipulative than seductive. He had forty-plus years on this smooth-skinned firecracker. He knew she was lying, but he couldn't prove it. Listen, I'll speak with Mrs. Fresco. She needs to keep her man occupied so he won't go wandering. You like men, don't you, Sue Lee? Her shorts brushed against his pants as she slowly passed. He was convinced it was a deliberate move. He stared at her buttocks as she turned. I'd die without men. Even you, you must be in your fifties. Yeah, you made my day. Good, stop by and have a drink sometime. I will, he said, looking into the rear lot. Can I get back out front this way? Sure, just walk around the dumpster, right around my car. You know, the one that was parked at Tony Fresco's driveway. I have to get to work, said Kel. Couldn't stay retired, huh? She asked, folding her arms across her jersey. Hell no, I'm too restless. Bye. Bye. She started back up the ramp again, and he caught sight of her buttocks, but this time his mind overrode his emotions. Sully! Yeah? She turned and bit her lower lip. Where did you say your brother lived? I didn't. Right. Something to hide? Ron Lee, Annapolis. She dropped something on the ramp as she started to bend over. Kel reversed direction, walked down the ramp, and opened the outside gate latch. His eyes immediately moved toward the fast-backed orange car parked next to the dumpster. He closed the gate and trekked along the hot asphalt. A tennis racket was placed across the white, pristine interior with a cylinder of yellow tennis balls. Kel checked out the black gym bag and then stepped back. The white Maryland license plate was current. He was about to return to his car when he caught sight of a chrome dealer logo and spoke it out loud. He raised his brow. Cross Brothers Motors. Interesting. Chapter 7 The children were probably asleep when Kel's security car rolled into the gravel driveway Mary Ellen balanced the decaffeinated coffee cup as she had promised him on the phone. He shut off the lights and the engine went silent. Since the sun went down, she was frantic about the possibility of Sue Lee returning to the beach house. Kel stepped from the car as Mary Ellen opened the front door. Ah, the nectar of the gods, said Kel, smiling. He sniffed the coffee and threw his hat through the open window. You're an angel. Thank you, Mary Ellen. He took the large mug in his hand and immediately raised the hot liquid to his lips. Mary Ellen crossed her arms and scanned the grounds in the cool air. You should be home in the trailer watching TV, Kel. I need to keep active. You'll understand when you reach my age. If I reach your age. He squinted and sipped the coffee. You said the bed smelled like night's sin. I washed the quilt and all the sheets. She had a key to this house. I know she did. Call the locksmith? asked Kel. All the locks have changed. Do you think she was in the house? He held the mug in his hands and gazed at the beach house. Yeah, it's possible. Listen, I met with her today at Barnacle Bill's. What did she say? I specifically asked her if she was involved with Tony. And? She said no. <laughs> Do you believe her? asked Mary Ellen. She is very convincing. Come on, Kel. She shook her head and paced in the gravel around Kel's compact. This woman will say anything. I would think you'd know that with your experience. I'll say she was very convincing. She has charm and is alluring. Alluring? Well, I mean, she works out in the gym. I know what you mean, said Mary Ellen, shaking her head. But she's lying. I don't know what the extent of her relationship is with Tony. 
She did admit to speaking with him in the bar about software for her brother's roommate in Annapolis. Called information, Ron Lee does live in Annapolis. Oh, and I'm supposed to believe this funky story is true. It's only part of the whole picture, Kel. Nothing can change the fact that her car was over here when Tony was painting yesterday. Kel sucked more coffee into his mouth. While she claimed to be sailing. Oh, good cover. You know, I find it hard to believe that Tony would step out on me, but I think he's not stupid enough to give her the keys to the house. She probably took them. So she can make the moves on my husband, chuck a rock through the garage window, break into my house, and steal my dog. And then she gets off scot-free. That's basically correct. In the eyes of the law, she hasn't done anything wrong. Tell that to divorce court. He'll be back here on Thursday. I think you should both just settle it. Thursday night, he lands in Newark, and then he's taking the puddle jumper to the airfield outside of town. Mary Ellen kept her arms folded and looked back toward the house. She must have jogged up the beach this morning. She's certainly in shape. Sounds like she put on quite a display for you. Kel's head snapped back. Yeah, my gut tells me this woman was on the prowl here, but I need proof. What about the bed? I don't use night sin and neither do my girls. Did you ask them? No. Kel, you sound like you don't believe me. I want proof. Nothing stands without proof, Mary Ellen. Oh, boy. I've got a chunk of granite as proof in my garage and a $700 glass bill. Kel said nothing and finished his coffee. Listen, I got a couple of leads I have to follow up on. I think you're safe here with the new locks. Add on the locks and that woman has cost me nearly two grand. Not to mention being scared out of my mind and wondering if I'm still going to be married by the end of the week. Even though she had retrieved fresh sheets from the linen closet and spread a new quilt over the mattress, Mary Ellen refused to sleep in the master bedroom. Three hours ago, she had walked down the road and searched for Eloise. Then she returned to the house, but before she locked the garage doors, she threw the granite across the grass and into the garden. She turned the garage door locks, double-checked all the new locks around the house, and then retreated to the third floor once all the window clasps were securely in place. The pull-out couch was comfortable enough, and the air conditioner provided an optimum temperature. But she couldn't sleep, and found herself at the windows again, staring across the bay. As the warmer, fresh air percolated into the cooler inner air, she chided herself for not having spoken directly to Sue Lee. This woman was very clever and seemed to have the ability to attract men, and she probably stole the dog. Even though she slept in the wicker window chair, Mary Ellen was invigorated after her first cup of coffee. Holding the newspaper, she again walked the dog's route early as she read the top stories. The sun brightened over the bay and leaked through the thicket branches. Eloise's disappearance bothered her as much as Suli's presence around the house. Once on the shore, she gazed toward Binghamton Beach in the early morning haze and then turned toward the beach house through the trees. She checked the sand ripples down to the beach berm but saw no dog tracks. A plethora of indiscernible footprints were scattered across the beach. Kel was right. They needed hard evidence. Sue Lee's prowess was indisputable and she may have contributed to the deaths of at least two married men. Mary Ellen prayed that Eloise had not been killed. She scanned the grass and packed sand for the dog and evidence. Sue Lee might have left a jogging trail or dropped a piece of jewelry if she had used the beach as an entryway to the house. If she indeed worked out, Sue Lee's physical strength would allow her to easily trek down the beach and scale the balcony to the second floor bedroom. Mary Ellen started up the wooden trail back to the road, convinced the dog was dead. Sue Lee's audacity and ability to make changes gave her a mysterious power. She stepped over the tree roots and breathed a little faster as she climbed the hill back to the beach house. What in Sue Lee's past gave her permission to entrap married men and kill them? It was time to get in the Escalade and pick up the kids, but she began questioning her own integrity as she veered toward the garage. Was she just using Sue Lee as an excuse to rationalize Tony's time away from the family? My fault. I should have kept him home. The beach house baked in the hot sun and the sprinklers sprayed a constant mist across the newly trimmed lawn. 
She stepped onto the driveway stones and felt a moisture in the air as she looked toward the garden. Last night, in anger, she had thrown the granite tumbling over the lawn, but now it was gone. She moved deliberately through the sprinklers and kicked back the brush. This is ridiculous, she said, and she stomped across the wet grass. She looked back. Perhaps they needed to leave for the summer and return to Philadelphia. As she neared the back door, the phone rang inside. She yanked her keys from her shorts and quickly unlocked the door. The ringing was louder when she picked up the phone. Loud jazz music blasted into her ear, and an echoing voice came over the line. She pushed the speakerphone and then hung up the receiver. Now the tune shook the kitchen. I want you to answer me. She listened to the words. clicked and the room was silent. Mary Ellen's heart pounded as she raised her hands to her mouth. She fell back to the floor, leaned back against the counter and cried. It's her! It's her! Leave me alone! Leave my husband alone! Oh my god! Kel suspects Suli and two murders. She likes older married men. Hmm. And her car was parked next to the beach house as Mary Ellen spotted her from the ferry. Later, with Tony away, somebody breaks her garage window in the middle of the night. Was it Sue Lee? Was Tony playing around with Sue Lee? And in the refrigerator, someone has almost emptied her white Zinfandel. And as the episode winds down, a synthesized death threat over the phone completely unnerves Mary Ellen. Even though I wrote this, I damn well could feel the tension I had created with this character, Sue Lee. Fictitious, I assure you. Stay as far away from Sue Lee as you can, Tony. She's not just trouble, she's evil. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com, or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.